and join with me in turning to Ruth chapter 3. Ruth chapter 3 is on page 223 and 224 of your church Bibles. Uh, next week will be our last week in Ruth as we head into the, the August month of uh, we'll still gather on Sunday evening. We won't do a full service. We'll have some prayer gatherings and, and things like that. Uh, we'll say goodbye to our Emmanuel Church friends as they will begin their own uh, Sunday evening activities uh, from September. Uh, so, But do join us next Sunday uh, for, for the conclusion of Ruth. Ruth chapter 3, uh, you'll recall that, that Naomi, uh, Ruth's, Ruth's mother-in-law, uh, ran off with her husband and two sons during a famine to Moab. Uh, the sons married uh, Ruth and Orpah. Uh, and then died along with Ruth's hu- or Naomi's husband, uh, and now they've returned to the land uh, of Israel, uh, Bethlehem, uh, in order to to try and, and scratch out a living, essentially. And this is what happens next: Ruth chapter three, beginning in verse one. And this is God's word. Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, "My daughter, should I not seek rest for you, that it may be well with you?" Is not Boaz our relative with, with whose young women you were? See, he is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. Wash, therefore, and anoint yourself, and put on your cloak, and go down to the threshing floor, but do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. But when he lies down, observe the place where he lies. Then go and uncover his feet and lie down, and he will tell you what to do. And she replied, All that you say I will do. So she went down to the threshing floor and did just as her mother-in-law had commanded her. And when Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was merry, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain. Then she came softly and uncovered his feet and lay down. At midnight the man was startled and turned over, and behold, a woman lay at his feet. He said, Who are you? And she answered, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. And he said, May you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. You have made this last kindness greater than the first, and that you have not gone after young men, whether poor or rich. And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you ask. For all my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman. And now it is true that I am a redeemer, yet there is a redeemer nearer than I. Remain tonight, and in the morning, if he will redeem you good, let him do it. But if he is not willing to redeem you, then as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. Lie down until the morning. So she lay at his feet until the morning, but but arose before one could recognize another. And he said, "Let Let it not be known that the woman came to the threshing floor. And he said, Bring the garment you are wearing and hold it out. So she held it out, and he measured out six measures of barley and put it on her. Then she went into the city. And when she came to her mother-in-law, she said, How did you fare, my daughter? Then she told her all that the man had done for her, saying, These six measures of barley he gave to me, for he said to me, You must not go back empty-handed to your mother-in-law. She replied, Wait, daughter, until you learn how the matter turns, turns out, for the man will not rest, but will settle the matter today. Amen. The grass withers, the flower fades, the word of our God stands forevermore. Uh, There's a brilliant old episode of The Simpsons where Homer is uh, sitting, probably sleeping, at his 
station in the nuclear power plant where he's a, a safety inspector when all of a sudden the plant goes into emergency mode. Uh, they're inching ever closer to meltdown uh, and Homer is panicking. He has no idea what to do. So finally in one last desperate attempt to, to save his life, to save the life of, of everyone in the plant and the town, Homer closes his eyes and he hovers his finger over, over his, his control panel and he, he plays out the old rhyme, eeny, meeny, miny, mo. And of course he pushes whatever button his finger was hovering over when he says mo. And that just happened to be the button that shuts everything down and saves, saves the plant and, and, and everyone in it. Homer's a hero. Uh, and he's celebrated as a hero. That is until uh, he's visiting the nearby Shelbyville plant where he was asked to go and give a speech about, about how to be a great employee. And the same emergency strikes that power plant. And so the boss and, and all the, the local celebrities uh, take Homer and they gather him in their control room and they say, just do what you did before. And so he does. Eeny, meeny, miny, mo, And he pushes the button that saves the whole plant once again. And there's, there's silence in the room. They're all in complete shock. And they say, you don't even know what button you pressed. And Homer responds, sure I do, mo." But they coined the term to do a Homer Simpson, which is by definition to succeed despite incompetence. This evening we catch Naomi trying to pull off a Homer Simpson. That's all there is to it, really. Uh, Naomi appears to have absolutely no clue what to do next. So she does something that appears at best to be naive and at worst to be downright dangerous. But that in the end, it has, it has incredible results, doesn't it? And we'll see this in, in three points as we walk through this story together tonight. We'll see, first of all, desperate times, desperate measures. Secondly, sometimes bad ideas work. And third, we see uh, the promise of redemption, or redemption promised. First, let's see desperate times, desperate measures. Naomi and Ruth have been back in Bethlehem for a few weeks now. They've, they've been shown mercy by Boaz, who's a, a close relative of Naomi's dead husband. And that's all great, but, but there's still one glaring issue. There's, there's no long-term security for, for either of these women. For women of the ancient world, uh, the security came through, through bearing children, for, through, through having an heir. Naomi's sons had all died without having any sons of their own. So there, there's no one to inherit the family name. And there's no one to inherit the family property. And there's no one to, to look after these two women as they, as they age, especially Naomi as she gets into her older age. And then there's, there's Ruth, the faithful foreign widow of one of Naomi's sons. There's no, there's no clear obligation to her as a, as a foreigner for the, the people of, of Naomi to <coughs> excuse me to protect or or to provide for her from the people of Israel or the clan of Naomi. <coughs> excuse me. So the situation is desperate. And Naomi realizes that they can't live forever on the charity of one of their relatives. That could dry up at any moment. <coughs> Can you get me a tea again? Sorry happened this morning. Tea helps. It also makes me look like a hipster minister to be holding a hot beverage and just kind of sipping as we go. <coughs> Excuse me. So what does Naomi do in this situation? Well, it can only be described as, as 
equivalent to pushing your goalkeeper up into the into the opposition box in injury time to hopefully get on a header on the end of, of an injury time corner. It's desperate, isn't it? It's hard to to read intentions and motivations into Naomi's actions. But she appears to put Ruth in a vulnerable position. Is this an act of faith? Is she trusting that, that God is going to protect Ruth and trusting in the goodness of a family member not to take advantage of her? It's hard to know exactly, isn't it? But she certainly is attempting to, to try and secure their situation by any means necessary. And she creates this morally ambiguous situation in what is a potentially dangerous situation for Ruth. <coughs> Whether it's faith or foolishness, Naomi calls in Ruth and he, he, she tells her to, to get all dressed up. Oh, thank you, my dear. And she tells her to get dressed up and, and she, she makes herself beautiful. And then she tells her to go to the threshing floor where Boaz, their relative, who could potentially be a redeemer for the two women, was known to, to be at that time of season. It was the time of season for threshing out uh, the grain at the end of the day. And so Naomi knew that at the end of the hard-working day, that Boaz would, would be there with his men. They would, they would make merry. They'd have a big dinner. They'd drink wine. And then he would lie down to sleep in a place where he could protect and guard his grain. And she said to Ruth, when, when he lies down, go and uncover his feet and lie down there at his feet. This is a way of, of showing submission to this man and dependence upon him. And Ruth, for, for whatever reason, agrees to do everything that, that Naomi has, has told her to do. Now again, this seems like a really bad idea, doesn't it? Last week we heard just, just how dangerous it was for a, a woman and in this time period, particularly for one to, to go out into the fields and, and to glean as, as Ruth had been doing. She could easily have been assaulted. But now Naomi is, is sending Ruth to uh, the threshing floor in the middle of the night, all alone. And not just alone, but, but all dressed up. And she's meant to, to lie down at the feet of a, of a sleeping man who has had his fill of wine that evening. See, this is exactly the kind of thing that we try to, to get our daughters not to do, isn't it? This is the kind of situation that, that most young women try to avoid, and rightly so. Ladies, I probably don't need to tell you this, but, but this is not the way to go about trying to get a man's attention. I think it's worth mentioning here that, that this is a good example of a situation that just because it's in the Bible, it doesn't mean that it's, it's a good idea. That doesn't mean that it's, it's the morally right thing to do. Scripture tends to unflinchingly recount what happened in, in certain instances. But that doesn't mean that, that those instances are, are positive examples for us to follow, even when they work. A good example would be perhaps Saul with the witch at Endor. He goes to this, this, this witch and, and uh, calls upon Samuel, and Samuel does turn up. He got a result. But what he did to get that result was tremendously evil. Maybe a more positive example would be the Daniel diet. When Daniel refused the rich foods of the king's table because it had been sacrificed uh, to, to idols and instead opted for, for vegetables, that was the, the right thing to do. But that doesn't mean that, that God only blesses vegans or veganism. 
it's clear, it, it, or, or that veganism is even a, a healthier diet. Clearly, veganism is not. And it seems to have the, the side effect of unbridled egotism, doesn't it? But people who want to question Christianity will often use a situation like this to, 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 as a bit of a gotcha, won't they? They'll ask, do you take the Bible literally? And when you say yes, they'll say then, it's okay for a, a responsible person, a, a person of authority, to, to dress a young woman up seductively and send her off to a man in the middle of the night. Well, that's not what this episode is teaching at all, is it? We shouldn't be naive when we come to Scripture. We should be able to say that, that this episode is reported somewhat neutrally. And again, we can't read uh, Naomi's intentions into this, but what Ruth and Naomi did and why they did it isn't, isn't the main thrust of this book or even this passage, even though what they did worked, which is what we see in our second point this evening, that sometimes bad ideas work. Ruth goes and does exactly what her mother-in-law instructed her to do. And the plan goes off perfectly, doesn't it? That is until we get to verse 9. And verse 9 is actually the, probably the key verse in this, in this passage. Because it's in verse 9 that Ruth diverges from the original instructions of Naomi. She was meant to say nothing and to let Boaz give her instructions. But that would be taking a, a dangerously ambiguous situation and it would leave it dangerously ambiguous. Instead, Ruth opts for what is essentially laughable clarity of her intentions. Look again at verse 9. Boaz wakes up to, to find some strange woman uh, in the dark lying at his feet. And then he said, Who are you? And she answered, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. Now, I don't know if Moabites were the ancient equivalent of Americans, but Ruth is, is incredibly direct and bold in her answer to Boaz's who are you. In this second sentence, she, she, that, this second, second sentence that she utters, she all but proposes marriage to Boaz. In fact, that's, that's exactly what she does. In the, the ancient world, when a man would propose to uh, a woman, he would uh, often take the, the corner of, of his garment and cover her with it. It was essentially uh, the, the equivalent of an engagement ring. It's a picture or symbol of placing her under the, his care and, and under his household. Ruth asked Boaz for, for this, this sign of, of his commitment. She makes this clear. She isn't, she isn't there for a one-night stand. But she's there for, the, to, for, she, she's there for, for security. She's there for, for a marriage commitment. She's there to be redeemed. And actually what Ruth asks for is, is so much more than a, than a mere marriage commitment. Because that, that request for redemption is actually a, a request to fulfill the, the traditional obligations of, of one Jewish person to another, right? even though Ruth herself is not a, a, a Jewish woman. But it's to fulfill that obligation, an obligation from under the law to a widow by the next closest family member. She asks him to, with, with tr out of tremendous personal cost to himself, to make good on, on the future of those whose future was lost to death. To, to provide for those who, who had, had already died and to provide and care for those who remained and yet were, were practically dead themselves because of the risks of being a widow in a world that, 
that, that so depended so strongly on the family structure. She asked for him to provide for her and for their first child who, to, to belong to her former husband and thus to Naomi. The first child in this relationship would be responsible for the care of, care of Naomi in her old age. This divergence from, from Naomi's instructions actually show both Ruth's wisdom as well as her character. We sometimes struggle with how far do we have to, to, to be obedient to an authority that's over us. And Ruth reveals that she knew exactly where that line should be. And she allowed her conscience to lead her even while, while being obedient to what was a, a questionable plan by her mother-in-law. And the fact is that, that Boaz was, was flattered, wasn't he? And he was once again impressed by the character of this, this foreign woman who came to the land of Naomi to, to care for her with, with no hope and no prospects for herself. He's struck by her character. And he's struck by the fact that, that he himself is no longer a young man. He's clearly older. And a younger man would have been more capable of, of possibly providing a child with Ruth. But the character of Ruth was found, has found a match in the character of Boaz. Now this is clearly not a, a modern love story, is it? It feels a bit strange and a bit weird with all the, the ancient customs and, and laws that were in play. In a modern love story, you'd have two beautiful young people who instantly fall in love and they live happily ever after. But Ruth and Boaz reveal to us what, what mature love looks like and what a, what a true, proper Christian marriage looks like. It's sacrificial. And it's as complicated as the real world is complicated. It's marked and mauled by, by death. And it's made more beautiful and perfect through the, the things that are broken in life being renewed and, and made whole again. See, that's why Ruth needed a Redeemer because she longed to, to be made whole once again. And I want to suggest that the match that we see between Ruth and Boaz is actually a reflection of what, what you should be looking for in a spouse. Because both Ruth and, and Boaz feared God, and they wanted to be obedient to Him, even beyond the requirements of the law. And as Christians, the right spouse for, for you is the one who, who shares your, your desire to be obedient to Christ Jesus. See, the most important, there, there's so many things in our world that, that people point to as, as what's the right thing? What's the, what, what, what makes the right, person, the, uh, the right person for me? And actually for a Christian, and, and what we see in Ruth and Boaz is, is that, that connection of the character when we see Christ in another and he draws us together. Boaz is willing to redeem Ruth. And he makes a promise to her that he will pursue that redemption. And this is what we see in, in our third point this morning. Or sorry, this evening. What time was it? Yeah, anyway. But our third point, redemption promised. Boaz points out that there's a, there's a problem. He is indeed a, a redeemer, but there's another man who is an even closer redeemer than Boaz. And who has the, the rights of first refusal, essentially. And so Boaz tells Ruth not to fear that he'll, he'll do for her all that she, she asks of him. He has to first seek out the, the Redeemer above him. 
to ask him if you will if you'll play his part. Boaz then does exactly what you would hope a redeemer would do. He shows he's serious, doesn't he? Even though he's not sure he will benefit or, or have the opportunity to take Ruth as his wife, first he, he protects her honor, doesn't he? He sends her away when it's still dark out and, and orders his servants that, that no one's to, to let it be known that, that Ruth was on the threshing floor that night. He realizes that Ruth could end up being another man's wife. So he doesn't take advantage of her. And he, he takes steps to protect her reputation. A single man, this is a, a good example to follow. Especially in your relationships with women who are not your wife. You certainly shouldn't spend the night with them at, at threshing floors or, or anywhere else. But you should remember that they, they could end up being another man's wife. And you another woman's husband. And so you should, as a, as a man, take care to honor and protect the reputation of, of the women that you, you may date or, or court. This is actually a, a countercultural thing, isn't it? That's what a man of God is, is called to do. And, and women are not there for, for our personal pleasure. Rather, you're there as a man to protect and care for them and for their reputation now the second thing we see Boaz do, though, is, is we see Boaz being generous towards Ruth with absolutely no expectations of getting anything in return. He, he loads her down with what is thought to be roughly 80 pounds of grain. If you were with us last week, you heard that Ruth went home with, with about two weeks' worth of grain uh, for her and Naomi. So the two ladies have, have plenty of grain to make stuff out of. I think it's safe to assume that, that Ruth was probably not a, a dainty woman, was she? 80 pounds of grain is a lot to carry in a cloak. But Boaz gives us a picture of, of what we should want in a redeemer, doesn't he? He's a man to, who, who protects his, this, this woman who he could easily take advantage of. He's a man who, who provides generously for her, even as he can't expect anything in return. And this is what, what grace is, isn't it? In fact, that's, that's the very definition of grace. Being given un- undeserved merit. Something that, that uh, uh, kindness that, that we don't deserve and couldn't possibly hope to repay. Grace is giving, one, giving from one's wealth without the receiver having any prospect of being able to, to return uh, that wealth to them. And the beautiful thing about, about this, this promise of Boaz and the, the character of Boaz and the, the promise of, the re, of redemption is, is the joy that we hear in Naomi's last words. Did you, did you hear it in verse 18? Naomi says to Ruth, Wait, my daughter, until you learn how the matter turns out. For the man will not rest, but will settle the matter today. See, the joy of the promise of redemption is, is tied directly to the Redeemer. What matters most is not all the steps that, that we try to take to, to redeem ourselves. Those are often misguided and, 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 uh, and mistakes and, mess, mess, and, and we make a mess of it. But what matters is, is who our Redeemer is and the strength of the promise of the Redeemer. And that's what we see in Boaz. And that's what we see in, in our Lord Jesus Christ. Because that's what He did for us as our Redeemer. The people who, who came out to Jesus... In his earthly ministry were, were those who were, who were vulnerable. 
There were those who had often made messes of their lives. They'd often been taken advantage of. And Jesus receives them and he honors them. And he's generous towards them. And he has been generous to, to you and I by pouring out upon us the, the riches of his grace without any hope of us ever repaying him. You see, the, the beauty of, of the gospel that we can see even in this ancient story of, of strange love is that in many ways we're, we're like Naomi and Ruth, that we've been marked and mauled by, by death, that we wander a, a broken world uh, hoping that there's someone who, who can redeem us from, from the brokenness of it and, and from our sin and from our shame. And what we have in Christ Jesus is a, is a redeemer who, who has the wealth and the, the character and the desire to redeem us. We don't receive salvation from Christ because of anything that we can offer or because, of, because the law obligates him. We were strange, when we were strangers and foreigners, Christ welcomed us in. And he received us only because of the abundance of his grace towards us. Let us pray.